Welcome to the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast, a no-nonsense show designed to help you punch fear in the face and create the life you've always dreamed of. Now, here are your hosts, Vince and Christian. Everyone, welcome back to Middle Class to Millionaires. It is a bright, sunny day here in Texas. I am Vince, your host, with my co-host, Christian. Christian, as always, great to have you here. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing mighty fine. How are you, sir? Nice. I'm doing great. I can't complain, and it wouldn't change anything if it did. Very nice. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in again. We've got a, hopefully, probably a short little episode for you today, trying to kick out some, hopefully, valuable content to you all like we promised. Today, we're going to give a little market update of kind of what's going on, Fed raised rates, what we're doing uh, in the wait, and how we're preparing. And then towards the end, we're going to go over five steps to succeed in business. A couple things that we've implemented in our own lives and how we think it would be uh, beneficial to y'all. So we'll do that at the end. But right now, I'll, I'll kick it to you, Christian, and we'll just get right to it. Uh, so what's going on in the market? What just happened with the Fed? Yeah, so uh, uh, as predicted, the Fed delivers another big rate hike a uh, to a tune of 75 basis points. And what does that mean in English? Uh, basically, a point, a 0.75% uh, rate increase. Hike. So that. Yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah, break that down in Barney style. What What is the uh, 0.75 basis points? What does that mean? Yeah. So first you got the, the federal funds rate is, is an interest rate set by the Federal Reserve to indirectly manage interest rates, inflation, and uh, unemployment. So every, well, this year as uh, CPI, last reported CPI, I think was 8.3%. Um, the FOMC, the rate. yes. Uh, the FOMC, which is the Federal Open Market Committee, um, it uh, meets, which this I think they met they've met a couple times, three or four times uh, this year. The target is the rate at which commercial banks borrow and lend their excess reserves to each other overnight, um, and it, the interest rate is set by the FOMC. Uh, okay, it's they set a federal funds rate target eight times a year and that's based on prevailing economic conditions um, the federal funds rate can influence uh, short-term rates on consumer loans and credit cards and then investors keep an eye out on the federal funds rate as well because it has an impact on the stock market in in saying that i looked at a well there's a graph recently put out of the six-month treasury uh, compared to the single family cap rate so which is a rate of return an investor expects to make right yes it's a rate of return if they were if the excluding financing so essentially this this treasury is closing in on the cap rates of real estate assets or investments so think of a multifamily there's there's kind of a market cap for multifamily uh here here recently it's been in the mid fours uh mid four wow, to that's low. Yeah, yeah it's very low so whenever you have the six month treasury creeping up to 3.7 percent somewhere around there uh, it, it begs the question of are investors being paid enough for their risk and um does it make sense for them to purchase a real estate investment because real estate is not passive income uh i don't care who tells you it is unless you're a silent partner or you're just lending money real estate's not passive yeah exactly so 
Um, and and what's led to this whole thing? Uh, there's inflation and then Fed increasing rates on top of it. What could this really mean? Uh, it's really hard to say, you know, because we don't have a crystal ball, but there could be a decline in prices. Uh, banks could alter their lending guidelines, um, maybe margin calls, which if, if Wall Street's holding a lot of supply of single family houses, uh, for instance, and they have to sell them off, well, that could, in, that could uh, lead to increased supply, which obviously affects the market as a whole. But either way, I mean, this isn't, you know, not trying to be gloom and doom. I think it's just important to keep a, a macro economic outlook on your business, your investing, your strategies, just keeping in tune to economic conditions. At the end of the day, there's there's always going to be opportunity. But during recessionary periods, there's probably even more opportunity if you're ready, of course. Yeah, and it's not it's not doom and gloom that you're putting out there, but I think uh, people should be aware of the climate. You know, I used to until really until you started kind of talking more about what you're doing as, as far as setting the market, I kind of just ignored all uh, everything that was going on around me in the market. I thought, well, I'm doing what I'm doing. It's going to be fine. Don't need to pay attention to the market. Don't need to pay attention to politics. None of that stuff. And I think that was pretty naive of me to do that because politics and all, all the things that are going on affect what we're doing, right? They definitely do, and especially uh, depending on what asset class. Like, for example, you go back to 2020 or 2021 when uh, with COVID going on and look at look at which industries and which asset classes got hit the hardest. So you have like uh, hospitality, um, hotels and uh, retail with those assets getting hit the hardest you had a lot of banks that were a little skittish in lending to uh, towards these asset classes or you know a lot of a lot of owners had to halt construction or whatever the case may be but you know you you may think you know oh my asset class is doing great and i have nothing to worry about and then something like covid could happen a, a phenomenon no, none of us really guessed or thought that would happen and then all of a sudden your your portfolio is just changed overnight or uh it's been affected overnight so i think one of the things i I don't know if you've mentioned this on the show but you and i talk about a lot in person um when you're buying stuff uh tell us what your kind of rule of thumb is about the 50 percent rule i'm pretty conservative on my buy on 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 what price i'm buying at i definitely you won't catch me paying retail for anything I like to, if, if, if the asset can operate at a 50% occupancy and you're breaking even at 50%, you know, it, it, that's pretty conservative. That's kind of the rule of thumb that I follow. I also like to purchase at uh, replacement costs. A lot of people are going to tell, tell me that I can't buy at replacement cost. Um, I, so far, yeah, I'll show them two properties that are worth four or five yeah. million that you've done that with already, right? Yeah, I've, I haven't had that experience yet. Um, I think across 110,000 square feet or so of, of commercial property, my my rate or my uh, square foot that I paid for is about $20, $20 square foot. Um, and then wow. replacement costs. I think we talked about, go ahead. I was going to say replacement costs is around $35. Uh, and then right now you see a lot of people that are selling off, uh, for example, self-storage assets. And they're charging or just on regular drive up non-climate you know, out here advertising for $70, $80 a square foot, $90 a square foot. And I'm just like, man, Dude, I don't, 
I don't understand it. Just the other day, a guy sent me an email. A friend of uh, an acquaintance of mine sent afforded me an email uh, with this storage deal. He's not very keen on storage. He's very big in commercial. He's actually a commercial broker. And um, he's like, I don't know if this is a good deal. Let me know your thoughts. And it was it was a $7.2 million deal for, I forgot the square footage because this would definitely change the math. But I did the math. And uh, what do you think it was selling at, price per square foot? Um, Retail deal. Yeah, and most of these brokers are, are throwing stuff out between 60 and $90 a square foot, $100. Bro, why don't you multiply that by two? $150 a square foot just because it had some additional land for expansion. I've seen people advertise properties and then they'll include land as if, um, you know, so you want me to pay for something that's not built yet and is not producing income. You want me to pay a premium on that? Um, yeah. Yep. No, thank you. Yep. My philosophy is not yep. to, to, to buy based on potential income or income that's not there. Um, exactly. Pro forma is what it's yeah. called. And a lot of people try to sell it pro forma. And I've, I've had a couple of people, you know, who are getting interested in commercial or even real estate are like, well, so-and-so said that this property would do this and it will do that. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. And it sounds like roses and butterflies, but unless it's actually doing that, I'm not buying it. I'm going to buy yeah. it at whatever it's performing at. So what I, Whenever any broker or anyone puts a deal together and they send me an OM, which is an offering memorandum, basically tells you all the details of the deal itself, um, the, I, and they have a performa in there, I don't even look at it. I ignore it. I could care less about their performa. It means nothing to me because it's not how I operate my business. It doesn't fit my, um, my, well, my, uh, like my systems and operations and just how, just how I am as an operator it doesn't fit that. So it, I basically take the, the real information, the real in, uh, real time information. I plug that into my, uh, calculators and systems and analyzers and I create my own performa. And I see from there, you know, is this deal worth purchasing when it comes to cap rates? You have a, a couple different things on the cap rate side. You have, which, you know, what we talked about earlier, that cap rate is basically the return on on your capital, uh, if you are to be paying in all cash, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's other uh, another form, I guess you, if you will, of cap rate is uh, like valuation cap rates. So you grab the NOI and you divide it by, let's just say, a certain area's market cap rate, which could be six or seven, and then you take that and then you you get a a quote unquote value uh, to that property. That's another way cap cap rate is utilized uh, for valuations for an example i think let me make let me do the math here before i spit it out yeah i think this is right so my uh the only property i have left because you know i just sold my other property i don't know if we talked about that on the last episode but back to the price per square foot i just sold our our henderson location for 8250 a square foot which i would not pay that but someone deemed it worthy for them to pay it and so it's sold that's great so uh, my West Tawakini location makes about 52000 a year net operating income. So that's gross revenue minus expenses. This is what I take home, mortgage excluded, because you don't put that in your expenses. So then I divide it by, and this may be a little too aggressive, but uh, this is what I've seen in that area and a broker's opinion gave me is uh, you divide that by, so 52000 divided by 0 0.065, which is 6.5% cap rate, and I get a value of 800000 
So that's how you kind of determine value based on what Christian was saying. Yeah, and a rough, obviously that's kind of a rough a rough valuation because you still would have to get the appraisal and they look at comps of the different um, uh, self storage facilities in the area as well. Yeah, it just gives you a good basis to go on. You know, I I valued my Henderson property at eight fifty, got it under contract for eight twenty five. I don't know the exact number that the appraisal came in, but the buyer did not ask for any price adjustment, so I'm assuming it appraised. So I was pretty hopefully pretty spot on with, you know, what I thought the property was worth because it obviously sold for only 25,000 less than what it was listed for. Yeah, exactly. And another, another reason I like to, where I go with the philosophy that I use on replacement cost and, and 50% break even occupancy is based on which I've talked about him in the past. One of my favorite investors is Sam Zell. And that's the same philosophy that he's used during his investing career and he never strayed away from that and he just he he kept to that philosophy and um and now he's a and it served him well yeah yeah i mean he's uh i think he's one in his 70s or 80s now but he's god knows how much he's worth obviously multiple billions um but i think if you if you don't do this has been hard for me but i think i've got better honestly because of you if you're not, if you don't have the shiny dime syndrome, which is where you're looking at every single thing that pops up and you want to do this, this and that, and you're every which way. But if you can stay focused, like one of the things I appreciate about you is how focused you are. And in turn, it actually makes me focus because, you know, there's that quote, you know, you hang around, uh, you are, you become like the five people you hang around most or whatever. You know, so if you want to become a millionaire, hang around five and you'll become a sixth. Mm-hmm. So Christian, uh, for those listening is if you don't know him, he's very focused, like very focused. And so when I come in with my, my shiny dine syndrome and I'm all over the place, you kind of help me recalibrate. So, you know, I, I've probably brought a gazillion things of, you know, what I could buy, blah, blah, blah. I think that's slowed down a lot this year, which is great because it's allowed me to focus on our business. And then uh, currently our move to Tennessee, but I, I've, I've become more focused. So if you can if you can do what Christian does or what a lot of the top investors do or business people, and, you know, you can focus on your area of expertise and you kind of create a hard rule that you don't stray away from. And maybe there's some anomalies where you might, but for the, the general rule, you don't stray away from it. Then uh, I think that's what kind of catapults you to that next level. And then it's really just a snowball from there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're 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 staying true to your your buying criteria. You're staying true to your philosophy, um, your your strategies. You're just doing what works best for you. So, like here currently, uh, getting started, I was I've been buying heavy value add deals. Now, of course, they're a little more risky, but um, these are the deals that will increase the value. You know, two, three, four million dollars uh, from your purchase price if if you're buying at super low uh, replacement or super low square foot. You know, cost per square foot. Yeah. So. That's just kind of what you, you I, I one thing I really like to do is just um, I've always liked to make things better. Right. So I have even when I was younger, um, I, I, I used to do this with cars. I'd buy a car and I'd find a way to to make it look better. I'd throw wheels on it. I'd clean it up. I'd I'd, uh, you know, just just make it look 10 times better than than when I did whenever I bought it. So. I think that that concept has always stuck with me of buying stuff that 
is distressed. There's distressed real estate you can buy. There's distressed businesses you can buy. Come in, yeah. put the systems in place, put the operations in place. Uh, use those same operations, those same systems, uh, and keep buying keep buying different businesses or, or different assets and implementing those same systems and operations. And then you start growing. You, you might start building teams. You may start uh, using other people's money with funds or private equity, stuff like that. And you just keep it going. You just keep it rolling. And then it becomes like a little, it becomes like a, a real life ga- a game of monopoly. Right. So it's now, yeah. And, and, and the assets you've collected or, or the net worth and stuff like that, it's just, it's just a kind of a way to keep score in a sense. It's not, it's just, yeah. it's just fun. I mean, I don't know. I, I always scorecard. Yeah. I've always liked challenges. I've always liked doing things that are, or a normal person wouldn't try and go do so, but you know, staying true to your, your, your strategy and your philosophy and focusing in on that and how to make those better and continuing to just grow is, is the key. I mean, one of the cool things uh, about the United States is the, the uh, American dream, if you will, is being able to buy property and own it or buy or have a business and own it equity, right? Equity is one of the, um, the American dreams that a lot of countries don't have that structure or have that, uh, that's not a norm, you know, like getting equity from a company, whether it's through a, uh, a stock that your company is offering you or, or you're the owner yourself. It's just the equity piece that is the opportunity here in America. Yep. Yep. Ownership. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe you'll take your real life lessons in Monopoly and actually beat me at Monopoly one day. But we'll save that for another time. Um, so have let's you ever get beat into me at Monopoly, <laughs> sir. At the Northwoodson Hills house, I destroyed first your wife, then my wife, then you. I took out everybody, sir. Do you I'm that pretty night? sure I was really tired that mm, day. Yeah, great excuse. Yeah. So um, let's move on to what we're doing in the weight. As far as just the current market, you know, you and I are both not really buying anything right now, um, unless obviously a crazy deal comes up and how we're preparing. Yeah. And on that quick note, for me, I like to buy like deals that are just are able to two to three times the value and not necessarily small, like smaller type deals where it's, I mean, there's, I think there's, there's perspective in, in, um, and or there's value in both strategies, quantity versus quality. Uh, but me personally, right now, I've been a quality type uh, guy where I'm just looking for those big grand slam type deals. Yeah, and I think that's great, actually. You know, I can kind of compare our deals. Um, you know, I, I put probably, well, I won't say probably, there's a caveat. On both of your deals, you've had to put in a, a, probably a lot more effort than I have had to on mine. Um, however, the difference in value I've been able to add versus how much you've been able to add is really exponential. For instance, let's just say I still have my Henderson property. I bought it for 330 uh, with 20% down, so I was in it for 260 something. I put 15 or 20,000 into it, and it was worth, let's just say, 850 before I sold it. So I had 600,000 in equity there, and then my West Tawakani property I bought for 540. Right now it sits at maybe around 800 in value. 
since I had to put 20% down on that one, my loan is 427, I think. So I'd have about 400 there. So we had about a million dollars in equity between those two. And, uh, you know, they, they needed, they needed a little, um, you know, uh, makeover. I did the cameras and the, all the kind of easy things you do. However, when you look at yours, you know, your first one you bought for 775, it just appraised for 2.6 million. Your other one, you just bought for 1.02 million and it appraised for 1.6, but it's probably already worth way more than that right now. So, uh, your first one was nothing down. Your second one was 20% down. So you're in it for 800. So you got 800,000 equity there. Plus we're not counting the cash out refi. Well, this, the, on the, the second one. on the second, a little, uh, cause it came with like, uh, what was a bunch of different little things, little various assets in it, but it was, it was, uh, the, I only brought 10% down on that one. Cause the seller carried. Right. So, so 90% of it was, was, uh, debt. So you've got, let's, what is that? 700 plus you got two, let's just say call it two and a half million in equity. Whereas I only have, what is that? I think I said a million in equity. So you've probably put in, I mean, honestly, probably three to four times the work I put in on mine, but it also produced two and a half times the value that mine produced. But I wanted to say, you know, you looked for those deals that were heavy, heavy value add. And sure, it was a lot of work. I remember you going down to Athens all the time at the beginning when you first bought that one. Amarillo, you're still going out there. I think you're going out there next weekend or whatever it was. So now you're still putting in, you know, blood, sweat and tears into these things. Maybe not so much Athens anymore because it's, it's that was stabilized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I came in, I come in if they're at a 60%. So uh, Athens was at, uh, I want to say 70, 75% occupancy on, on, uh, I want to say economic and maybe 79 on physical. Um, and it had a full-time manager. So economic occupancy means that they're paying basically under what the street rate should be right uh yeah that's a part of it and basically like what you're actually getting paid out yeah so yeah. physical is basically you could have 10 10 tenants there and three of them aren't paying you uh, so you know you take the physical and measure it against the total possible income if a property is 100 occupied then basically the pen the tenants are paying the full market value and rent does that make sense yeah okay um i was just trying to explain it for the people out there who may not yeah know yeah basically just the money economic occupancy is yeah okay yeah so we'll, we'll we'll break it down like that and then uh so that one wasn't a huge like like value add it just pretty much cutting down on expenses because expenses were at about 60 percent uh 65 percent when the national average is about 35 percent and i'm currently at like 29 percent so I just took, you know, all the measures I could to find properties that were, or specifically to this one that, that were heavy on the expenses. So that could be a strategy going in. If you see a business or, or uh, a real estate asset that the expenses are like double what they should be, dive deeper into that and see if you can't find ways to decrease it. Um, and then, yeah. and then yeah. as, at the same time, you're increasing the revenue and all that good stuff. Now, the one out near Amarillo, uh, I bought it actually, I was looking at this the other day, I bought it at 39% occupancy. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm surprised so, the bank gave you money on this thing. Yeah, so it was it was interest only for the first year, and then it goes up to, uh, it, obviously principal and interest become a part after that. But uh, so 
the reason they gave me the loan for one is because I have experience turning around assets. Now that's extremely valuable in the bank's eyes, especially if you're, if you're targeting heavy value add assets, because if you, and then if you're trying to find, if you're buying, if you get to a point where you're just starting to buy more stabilized type assets, more quote unquote safer, then it's a lot, they'll trust you a lot easier if you have that heavy turnaround experience. So I bought it at 39%. It's been just, I mean, it's been, it's been a mess as far as turning, getting things organized, uh, getting brand new leases for everybody, getting everybody on, you know, set up in their accounts on my, on my software, uh, various different things. But now I'm sitting at just under 60% occupancy, uh, have gone there down there multiple times and, and it's, it's a group of properties. So there's 10 different parcels that I purchased. So like a little mini portfolio and there's, there's other assets that I haven't even focused on. I've just been focusing on the storage, but I mean, at the, at the no, I think that's event. smart right now. Cause that's the breadwinner right now. Yeah. That's the main, that was the main, that's honestly all I wanted. Um, but they're like, well, we have all this other stuff we want to sell you. Like, um, I mean, I guess. So I took it in for free. Yeah, I took it. And um, I just been really focused on the storage piece because that's my that that's my uh, subject matter where I'm a subject matter expert at and everything else I've kind of learned along the way. Like I have some flex space where I'm dealing with commercial uh, tenants, like national tenants, and I'm dealing with, you know, year long uh, leases with renewals and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's based on a a rent per square foot uh, at this point. So a little bit different and then have some offices and stuff like that. But uh, the storage has been the main focus. And once it's stabilized, I'm, I'm going to be a lot closer for, or, you know, from that 1 million purchase price to 4.5, somewhere around there. It's definitely worth it. You just definitely have to put the sweat equity. If you, if you don't have the discipline to you know, do what it takes to get this thing up, turned around and, and running and operating efficiently. And, uh, you may want to stray away from the heavy value ads and, and try your, try something a little bit easier. Yeah. I think that's good though. That, that kind of leads into the last part of the, uh, the podcast that we'll talk about, um, on five steps to succeed in business. And one of those things you said is discipline. It's actually the second yeah. point. So that's good that this is going to be really helpful um, for a lot of people out there who, uh, you know, hopefully we got at least three listeners out there for the three of you that are listening. <laughs> the three. Hopefully this will help. Yeah. Hey, well, every now and then I'll get, I'll get people come up or text or message me and like, hey, listen to this podcast. And uh, I really, I really like the show and stuff like that. So uh, I love a, it. It surprises I, me. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yes, now we have four me. listeners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And two of those are our moms. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, <laughs> if you're out there listening right now and you've actually listened to every episode or maybe you're new to the show, we really appreciate you guys, you know, listening and uh, showing your support, texting Christian. I've had a couple of people share on uh, Instagram when I posted the one about Troy, which was just phenomenal. You know, I, we really appreciate those words. That really does encourage us to keep going. You know, we've been at this for, geez Louise, two and a half years and obviously we've never been extremely consistent, but we do have a solid game plan this time around to be consistent. So, uh, and it's yeah, like, it's not like we're not out here making moves just, just so you guys know, 
we're out here yeah. making moves. So we just get caught up with the moves sometimes. And well, I think it's good though. You know, this whole show was called Middle Class Millionaires, like we talked about in the last episode. We were just two middle class dudes just trying to make it, you know, trying to find our way. And now, again, not to brag, but this is the name of the show. We've both become net worth millionaires. Uh, and and it's all for uh, it's all for the all the reasons we talked about before, which Brandon Turner, you know, from Bigger Pockets uh, or formerly Bigger Pockets, he posted a thing just yesterday that I shared. Why financial independence matters. Point one, family. Point two, family. Three, four, five, family. You know, like everything that we're doing is not to brag about some dollar figure that could change overnight. It's to create this lifestyle uh, to be with our families more, to leave a legacy, to be able to give more, you know, all those things. Anyway, we, we appreciate y'all who have listened. You know, we had a big gap from December of last year until, you know, just two, three weeks ago. But in that time frame, you know, uh, Christian was already a net worth millionaire. I became a net worth millionaire, which is great. Making moves, you know, trying to do things. And so, yeah, like Christian said, we're not out here just, you know, tooling on our thumbs like we were actually. We took a gap year. Yeah, we took a gap year, you know, from high school to college. <laughs> so what are you what are you going to do right now? You know, obviously the the economy or most of America has not woken up to the fact that we are in a recession. I think that's really going to show. And real quick, because because uh, and not not to be political, but they like to change definitions of things. Right. So throughout history. The definition of recession has always been the same, which is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, and all of a sudden, it's no longer that. But um, nope. But yeah, we, we are, you know, I would say we're in a recession. If you just look around, uh, look how much more you have to spend per month on your groceries, on your gas, um, everything. I mean, electricity. I I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, electricity, especially in Texas, it's doubled. Um, but you look at like eggs. Wasn't it I, you that just told me what your rate went up to? Yeah, I mean, I mean, last year or the year before, we we're paying like eight eight cents per kilowatt or whatever the the uh, measurement is. Kilowatt and, per hour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and now it's like sixteen is the average right now in Texas. So if you're if, you, if you're going to get a new rate on electric, uh, yeah, it's going to be like twice the cost. I mean, eggs are up like thirty percent. Uh, chicken thirty percent. Uh, and it's just um, it, it's it kind of sucks to be in a position where that's hard on you. I've been there. I'm not saying this to uh, like be insensitive or anything like that. I mean, I know we, we our show is called uh, Middle Class of Millionaires, but we weren't actually always middle class either. We started uh, growing up. We, growing up, we came from the bottom. Um, and I actually. Uh, I had made a post or shared a post by uh, old, old Grant Cardone there. Uh, oh, he, boy. Yeah, he said, he said st uh, starting at the bottom isn't a deficit. It's a gift. And, oh, that was him. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and what that, that means is is that, uh, you know, first of all, one, which will this will lead into to certain things we've talked about to be successful, but your perspective on things. And we've talked about being grateful, be, uh, thankful, but – just because you you have to start at the bottom doesn't mean you can't catch up. I mean, I I was able to, to achieve something in like two years that takes people way longer, uh, and yeah. they had a they had a they had a further start. They went to Harvard. They uh, which Harvard is that's that community college, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. twenty five dollars a credit hour, or something like something that. Something like that. So, anyways, they started at at from these 
different places and it takes them way longer um, or it takes them like the average uh, amount of time versus me. I started at the bottom, came from nothing and uh, was able to do it in like half time or whatever the case is. Um, and really yeah. that's all just due to some of these things we're going to talk about, um, you know, to be successful. And the first one we have is well, hold uh, on. before we get into that real quick, hold on one, one second. I, I like uh, kind of where you were going with that. I want to touch on a, a couple things that you said. Yeah. So the other day I was looking at, um, I think it's certified hustler or one of those pages I follow on Instagram. And uh, it says behind every strong person is a story that gave them no choice. You know, you talked about starting from the bottom, you know, like, and, and like Christian said, we're not here to brag about anything. You know, I, I don't know if Christian, if you've ever been on food stamps, but I think I shared in my posts where I officially kind of made it known that I had become a net worth millionaire to inspire people. Again, you know, not bragging. If you go read my post on Instagram, my Instagram handle is Vince Russell. You can see that I posted a picture of a trailer that my mom bought for us to live in uh, with inherited money from a great man who died. $7,000 trailer. This thing was a 14 by 60. It was definitely not brand new. It had dents all over it. I mean, we were at the bottom. Food stamps, wick, the whole thing. You know, buying uh, secondhand clothes for uniforms to school because we couldn't afford, you know, new clothes. We've been where maybe some of you have been. So all the things that we say are not like we were given some silver spoon and we just made it. Like we've, there's been a lot of struggle in both of our lives to get to this point. So we say all that to say, and hopefully it's obvious if it's not, is to inspire you to to achieve whatever dream you have. I really believe that you can do it. We live in a day and time where anything is possible. There are more millionaires made you know these years than there have ever been before. So opportunity is out there. You just got to go for it. Now let's get into uh, the five steps to succeed in business. So let's talk about the first one is vision. You know, the Bible says, uh, with lack of vision, people perish. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but that's essentially what it says. Ed Milet says that your your vision should be so big that this is for I think your family, but for everyone business. I think he was talking about family here. Your vision should be so big that everyone sees it and wants to like jump on board with it. Christian, what does that look like for you? What is what is your vision for your? You know, you don't have to talk about specific things, but for your marriage or for you as a father or your business, like, what does that look for you? Uh, well, I mean, one of the, the, one of my whys, which is part of vision. I mean, if you have to have a, you have to have a, a powerful enough why to keep you going because motivation is not going to cut it. I mean, I, I see people trying to be motivated and, and, and then it ends, it ends up, uh, faltering out because, uh, they didn't have a strong enough why to, to, uh, to pull them. So they're looking at, they're looking for something to, to push them, which is motivation, which, you know, it's, it's great for a, a couple of weeks or so, but the vision is what pulls you and keeps you going. Um, and so it's really just, uh, for me, time is one of the more valuable assets. Uh, now we don't, I don't work two hours a week like Vince does, but, um, <laughs> you called uh, me semi-retired the other day. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, Vince is retired. But, I mean, I have the ability to choose what I want to do when I wake up. If I want to spend that morning and, and play with my daughter, I can do that. Uh, you know, we can we can uh, think we're going to go to uh, to Maine at the end of the month and just, you know, nice. just randomly come up. You know, let's let's just take a trip. You know, let's just go and, and go somewhere we've never been. Um, 
it's it's the things like that it's it's the the choices to you know i don't have to be here at this time if i don't want to now of course this comes with exactly. with uh, what does old uh, uncle ben say with uh with great power comes great responsibility is that what he says oh yeah okay yeah, from spider-man yeah so the reason i say that is because now this is you know it's great and all that you can uh make your own decisions and your own choices to do what you want it and go where you want at whatever time but it also comes with uh you need to be disciplined enough to do what you need to do at the times when are when they're needed so exactly that is the only thing and if you if you yourself are a person who cannot do that then you need to work on your discipline discipline first so you know, as we stated, vision is what's going to pull you. So you have to come up with your why. Maybe more time with family. It may be the freedom to, to vacation whenever you want to. You know, like what you're saying with time. There's I can't remember what that movie is. I think I've talked about it before with Justin Timberlake. I think it is where you have, you know, you pay for stuff with time credits on your arm. You remember that movie? Step Up? No, that's a dance movie. <laughs> I don't, honestly, I don't you know. It's this movie. Okay, it's this movie that it really puts in per, into perspective, you know, like, okay, for instance, let's just say I were working a, a part-time job paying, pay me $10 an hour. Well, before this interview, I went to Starbucks and got myself a, a small white chocolate mocha that has gone up in price. And I added almond milk, $6.20 for this thing, $6.20. If I were working a part-time job at $10 an hour, I just gave up 40 minutes of my life for this coffee. I'm big on time and money. So I, I always calculate kind of things like, what is this going to take of my time? Oh, here's an example. If it's going to cost me $6 in tolls to get home, let's just say 10 minutes earlier, or I sit in traffic to save $10, what do you think I'm doing? I'm paying the $6 toll. Because for me, that 10 minutes is worth more to me than a $6 toll. Obviously, some people may not be in the situation where you can do that, but you've got to think about like... You will, these, you will eventually. Like, what, you do the right things. Yeah. Like, what are you, what is your why? I guess is what I'm saying. My why really is for my family and for uh, time freedom. That's what I'm after. You know, financial freedom, yes, obviously, but time freedom. You know, like you said, you're about to go to Maine because you want to. We went down to San Antonio a couple weeks ago to SeaWorld to take the kids. Part of like a little homeschooling thing and just because we wanted to go. I didn't have to ask anybody. We just left. No, no PTO but, denied. Nope. Actually, I, I did. I did have to submit a PTO request to my boss. Oh, which is you? Did yeah. You say yes? <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I approved him. Oh, good. Whew. So to get there, you have to have discipline. Um, what does that look like for you? I know you're very disciplined. Uh, it's obvious by how successful you become. You're about to turn thirty in. Uh, in like two weeks, days. I think. Yep. Yeah. And yep. you became a net worth millionaire at 28, right? Yeah. Something like that. I think for me, discipline is, that's one of my main, my main uh, facets. My, my main, um, like one of my major beliefs is, is, is discipline. And I think discipline leads to all the, the things we talk about, because if you don't have discipline, even, even actually before vision, because if you don't have discipline to sit down and think about what your vision could be, then you're not going to get any of those things done. I mean, so, yep. and, and honestly, people are like, well, how do I build discipline and, and how do I get better at discipline? Um, I, I think it starts with, you know, sitting down and like looking, first of all, looking at your habits 
um, seeing what habits you can change, uh, seeing what habits are going to better your life and which ones aren't. Uh, you know, I, I don't really watch much TV, but um, if you, for example, watched a lot of TV, you, you, should, you could sit down and be like, let me analyze how much time I spend watching TV. And if you're spending two hours a day watching TV, that's uh, let's just call it seven days a week. And now you're at 14 hours a week uh, watching TV. Uh, and then that's over. That's now what? Uh, 50 something hours a month watching TV. Yeah. 728 hours a year divided by 24 hours in a day. That's 30 days. It's one entire month out of the year <laughs> that you've watched TV. That's crazy. Now, now imagine what you could do. If you replace now, I'm saying I'm not saying you have to cut out TV. Um, if you want to be real uh, intense, and and then you could, but I mean, you don't have to cut it out completely. But let's just say you bring it down to 30 minutes a day or something, uh, or only finding or, balance. Yeah, or only, only a couple times during the week, and then you replace that time with uh, trying to learn something. So, uh, like at night, if I if I have my laptop open, um, I'm probably watching a YouTube video learning about this and that business buying businesses and different structures and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, or, you know, if you're in the car, instead of, uh, listening to music all the time, you exchange some of that time out for, um, learning or listening to a podcast like ours or listening to an audiobook. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and, yes, uh, and, and, you know, one, another thing I like to do is, so I, I go to the gym every single morning. I have I will not skip any day. I, I went on my birthday last year. I'm gonna go on my birthday this year. Um, there's no day skipped unless the gym is closed, obviously. Um, but and then you'll break in and still go work out, right? <laughs> exactly. But what what <laughs> what this does uh, subconsciously is, for example, you go to the gym and you haven't been in a long time, right? You you're you're like I want to lose weight, but uh, you just, it's just so hard to wake up early. I've heard the excuses. Um, if you get into the routine and let's just say you do it for the first week and a half to two weeks. Now those are going to be very hard, but if you can get past those two weeks every other day after that, it's like, you can't miss. How many times have you tried to get me to come to a car show on Saturday? And I'm like, ah, today's my gym day. Or I go in the morning. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you make it work. I mean, these past couple ones, I've kind of had to bribe you since I'm moving, but you still make it work though. You'll yeah. go either before or after the car show and you still make it work. You don't be like, well, I went to the car show this morning, so I don't have time for the gym the rest of the day. Yeah, exactly. You still fit it in and you're still disciplined to put in the work to get your body to where you want it to be, you know, physically. Right, right. Exactly. So it, you know, if you break down discipline and you think of it in small steps, like it's like, okay, reading that book for 30 minutes a day and just set, set an alarm on your, on your phone, read, but like, if you look at my calendar, the way I kind of structure my day is I'll put things, uh, put reminders on my calendar. And so like I have every, every single day, uh, I think it starts like at three or four. Um, it, it, it says read and it's a, it's an alarm that goes off every single day. And it, it reminds me, oh, I need to, I need to go. This is my learning time. This is my uh, the time I go in and do whatever I need to do on the learning side, education side. If you do something like that, that'll help you to to get disciplined, and and slowly you'll start teaching yourself. Yeah, and it's just simple steps. You don't have to be like, 
you know, I want to lose 15 pounds and think that you got to do it in three days. It's small, actionable steps that ultimately lead to the goal that you're trying to get to. You know, like, sure, I want to be a billionaire. I really do want to be a billionaire, but I'm not going to get there tomorrow. So I've got to put in the work and, and set a vision for where I want to go and, and, and create these habits that will ultimately hopefully lead to that one day. But, you know, you don't have to put the stress on yourself or the anxiety that I have to do it, you know, like tomorrow. Just small, steady steps ultimately leave, lead to the big goal that you had in mind. Yeah. And, and if you track these steps, too, that, that's another thing that will help you. Yeah, track your progress. Celebrate your wins. You know, like um, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Ed. I talk about it a lot, but and I think you've done this. Maybe my buddy Jamal, who hopefully we're gonna have on the show in a couple weeks. Like when you have a big win, you know, like when we sold, um, I think our Henderson property or whenever we sold one of our property. I think me and you went out for like a nice like steak lunch or something, whatever it was. Or or I think I've taken my wife out to like a fancy dinner. You know, like celebrate those wins. And I think maybe Sean Whalen says this. I don't know who says it. Andy Frisella, one of those guys I listen to. But, like, celebrate your successes. You know, if, if you – whatever your your goal was and you reached goal one of five and you did it, go celebrate. And if that means spending $100 on a steak dinner, just do it, mm-hmm. you know. you And you'll feel the reward of, oh, man, this feels really good. I'm having a really nice dinner because I did this, this, and this. You know, like you rented – I think you rented a Porsche GT3 last year. Didn't you? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. I think it was. I think that was whenever I hit the first milestone for net worth, and then I think at the same time my birthday or somewhere around the time. Um, yeah, and and what that's yeah. doing to your mind is like training you. Like, and it, obviously it's not about material things, but one of the cars that you do want to have is a is a Porsche GT3. So when you yeah. reach your first goal, you your your mind is like, oh man, like you're you're celebrating yourself everyone likes to feel celebrated so you should also take the time to celebrate yourself and your wins yeah and uh and so for me like i'm a big a big car enthusiast so for me it's not about status or whatever the case that some people buy these cars for i really just love the cars i mean i I love the engineering that goes into it um every aspect about it but you know unlike some people that we may know, Dave Ramsey, um, I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. I'm going to go buy the car that I want to drive. It uh, doesn't matter. You know, obviously you'll be in a position to do this too, but go, go enjoy the fruits of your labor. You're not, you're not working so hard to build this thing just so you can uh, eat ramen every day for the next 30 years. Screw that, man. Like life should be enjoyed. Sure. You should be, you should be good with your money. Yeah. You should give. This should help others obviously yeah. provide for your family, but this life was meant to be enjoyed. So go yeah. enjoy it. You know, if your wife wants a vacation to Maui because y'all haven't been in seven years, well, dang it. I got to pony up the cash here in a couple months to take her to Maui. We're doing all these things to ultimately have these experiences with our family. But then also again, back to, back to what I was saying, you need to celebrate your wins. Even if it's just a small thing, like you go, Buy yourself a nice pair of shoes, you know, because you got a promotion at your job. That's great. And you'll look at those shoes. Maybe you will. I'm, I'm just speaking off the cuff now. But you'll look at those shoes as a reminder of, hey, I accomplished this goal, you know, and you rewarded yourself. Same thing with dogs. When they do a trick, you know, they get a treat. It's the same thing. Like, I know that sounds kind of lame, but <laughs> good little doggy. It's the same thing. Yeah. Just, re- just treat yourself. Anyway. All right. Next one. Growth. Uh, I like this one a lot. Um, one of the things my best man said at my wedding was that I'm very introspective. 
And that means that you look at yourself and see how you're, you know, how you can change and how you can grow. I, if you're familiar with Enneagram, I am an Enneagram 8, which is kind of a hard charger type person. Don't take any crap. Say what I think. And there's a difference between being a healthy 8 and an unhealthy 8. I think there are times where I can be an unhealthy 8. And that shows in sometimes how I treat my wife and kids, just being honest. And I don't like it. And I look in after, you know, my wife corrects me or I realize, man, I was a jerk. I look at myself, I'm like, man, what what can I do to not do that again, you know? So same thing in business. What what can you do to look inside yourself to change and get better so that you can be a better husband, a better father, uh, a better boss, a better employee? I think it's great to even be the best employee that can you can be. If you're at a 9 to 5 right now and you don't want to be, what can you learn in your current position in a 9 to 5? Sure, you want to be a millionaire, gazillionaire, whatever. What can you learn? What can you learn from your boss? What are good things that you can take from them and bad things that you can take from them? When I was in the Marine Corps, I had a lot of bosses who were just pricks. And there was a lot of things I didn't like about them. But there were some who had great characteristics that I really liked. So you take the good with the bad and you look in and and see how you can implement those in yourself and just be always growing and learning and and challenging yourself. Like what what are some things that you do for growth? I know you said you like to learn and read. So what does that look like for you? Uh, I probably said it in the past podcast, but uh, reading or listening to audiobooks is, uh, I mean, one of the, you know, and, and this is coming from somebody that has an MBA. I compared the MBA to my own self-education and the MBA had very little worth. I've learned way, way, way more uh, via self-education than I did at my MBA. There's obviously value in the MBA, but I think... I think you could probably learn everything they teach you in like a month or two. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Um, YouTube, YouTube University. Yeah, I mean, growth is, is, is very key. I mean, reading as much as can. I, I can't emphasize enough on reading. If you look at all the top or the wealthiest people uh, in the U.S., I think a, a lot of them read probably 10 books, 20 books a month, 50 books a month. Yeah. If, Warren mean, Buffett, Bill Gates. Yeah, those guys read like five books a day. It's crazy. So reading is, is definitely is key. Uh, learning from your past mistakes. It's only a mistake if you didn't take it as a lesson. So like if you if something if you mess up on something, instead of viewing it in a negative perspective, view it in a positive perspective and how you can do it better next time. Uh, yeah, don't 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 use it as a reason to quit. I mean, it's never a reason to quit. Just use it as a reason to to not do that again for one and two find another way to do it better and so so growth yeah. is definitely key um it to be successful you really just you know it comes along with analyzing yourself it comes with i mean look at a business right a business is supposed to grow so how if you can't analyze yourself and grow your own self how are you supposed to grow a business you know Yep. Or lead your team. Yeah. If they don't see you growing, how, how, if how you are have, you going to expect them to grow with you? Yeah, exactly. If you have a team, then they're going to want to see the best out of you because they're following you. They trust you to follow you. They want to see the, the best out of you. They want to see that you're taking the company to a new level. They want to see that there's growth uh, for them in their roles. And, and you know, mm-hmm. who wants who wants to be at a company that, that stays stagnant? Well, I mean, I'm sure there are some people out there, but 
Like, yeah, but, <laughs> but for the people listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not one of those people. You you're listening to this show specifically because you're interested in business, real estate, X, Y, Z, and you want to get to the next place. Yeah, you want to constantly improve, learn, and prosper at higher levels. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things you said when you were talking about a team, how they want to see you, you know, growing and and, and whatever you said. I had this image of myself with my family and you with your family. You know, our wife and kids want to see the best out of us. And when we're not living our best or when we're having a bad attitude or whatever, our attitude controls the tone of our home. My wife just said this to me the other day, and I'm just being honest on this show. My attitude last week for something that was happening was piss poor. And it was affecting everyone in the house. So you, you've got to really look at yourself as the leader. If you're the leader of the home or your business, and realize how big of an impact you have on the culture that you're creating in your business or in your home. Because if you have a wife and kids or, you know, husband and kids, they're looking at you if you're, if you're the leader of the home, you know, whatever, they're looking at you to set the tone. And so if you're having a bad attitude, that rubs off on our kids, especially because they're such sponges. And then if you're having a bad attitude, it might affect how your spouse's, uh, her, his or her attitude is. It's just being cognizant of how you're broadcasting your feelings. I unfortunately wear my heart on my sleeve, so I have a very hard time hiding some of those things. I could do a lot better job. But when I'm at my best, I feel like our house is at our best. Next one is action. So five steps to succeed in business, action. So obviously you got to take action. You've got to go for it. You can't just sit on the sidelines and hope that something happens. You've got to go for it. I'll use this as an example. I love this because whenever you and I were first in real estate together doing flips and whatnot, you know, we were doing residential. It was great, whatever. And then you got the commercial bug and then you bought your first property. I've talked about this many times, but I I love it because you taking action and really going after something that could drastically change your financial situation made me take action. I was like, oh crap, like man, Christian just bought his first property. It's already worth this. Like this dude's going to, he's just going to crush it. I'm going to be left in the dust. I got to do the same thing. I got to get at it. But what you did inspired me to get into commercial too, which I'm so thankful for because it has drastically changed our lives. But your action inspired me to take action and, and set goals. And I'm, you know, I'm achieving those goals. You're achieving those goals. I guess that was all I was going to say, but action is so key. Yeah, you're right. All these other things are great. But if you don't do anything about it, what does it mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you can read 100 books and it, unless you're actually taking action on what you, you learn and apply it, it's not going to do anything, right? You're not going to do anything. Action is definitely one of the, the steps to kind of uh, get your momentum going, uh, get, get everything kind of in place. And at the end, of the, you also, I run into a lot of people that ask me different things about investing and real estate. And um, a lot of them have... Oh, this this phrase called analysis paralysis, where they oh, yeah. they look at they may let's just say for example they're trying to analyze a, a real estate deal and then they look at it and then they start getting like I don't know anxiety or something or nervous or I don't know whatever feelings they get um, and then they start backing away from moving further or submitting an offer uh, and so that's exactly what paralysis analysis is or analysis process you don't have to have 
all your ducks in a row, essentially. Um, I know it may be harder for some other people to to practice this. Uh, for me, it's it's pretty easy because I've always just been I've always like risk or you know thrills or whatever you want to call it. So it's been it's always been relatively easy for me. I understand for some people it's a little harder, but you really just got, you really have to break, learn to break yourself out of that because if you don't, you're going to be stuck in the same place for three, four, five years. And it's just going to be that one core issue of thinking you need to know everything. You know, that's actually perfectionism. And I think it's progression, oh, yep. progression or perfectionism is the enemy of progression. So, you need to just start practicing, uh, just getting out there. I mean, I mean, first of all, I think one thing that will help you get over this analysis paralysis thing that you have is uh, goes going back to knowledge. If you are extremely confident in your knowledge on the on the asset or on the topic, you're going to be way way more confident when it comes to actually buying the thing. Because if you're if you're not that confident in your knowledge in it. Like if you can't analyze a, a deal on the back of a napkin or, you know, this or that about the asset, then you need to spend time, more time learning about it first. And then you get to a point where you can name off this and that about about the asset class or name off this uh, fact or statistic about it or this operation strategy, whatever you want, want to do. Then you can get to a point where you're going to be way more comfortable submitting offers and you know just doing deals i think that's that's it right there just the knowledge piece and then and then you'll be way more comfortable to to get deals done yeah i think denzel uh washington says you know fall down seven times get up eight you know it's just it's just a the fact of not being scared to just go for it you know i've said this a gazillion times on the show but you just got to go for it. So what if you fail? So what if you lose money? You can earn money in some form or fashion. Like there's so many ways now in, in this day and age to earn money. You know, like our first flip. Uh, again, I talk about this all the time, but I lost $28,000 plus the 40000 I was going to make. So seventy grand I lost, but I just knew that like I just got to keep going. So what? It, it sucked. Yeah, it sucked big time because we just had our first child. She was like literally a baby when all this was falling apart. But I just knew that if I just pressed forward and kept going, that ultimately it would lead to the goal that I initially had. You know, for me, I, I lost 70 grand. Let's just put it that way. So that was almost two times what I was making at my nine to five job. So that's basically two years of income that I lost. But now here I am almost five and a half years later, or I guess it's six years later, six years later, and, you know, we're doing all right because I just I just kept going. I didn't let fear destroy what I knew was best for me and my family. So the last thing is drive, which is defined as the urge to satisfy a goal or need. So really it just comes down to how bad do you want it? You know, how bad do you want financial independence? How bad do you want time freedom? How bad do you want to be able to take extra vacations throughout the year? How bad do you want to be able to go to Maine whenever you want to? or California, or Maui, or New Zealand, Fiji, you, you know, insert whatever place here, you know, or how bad do you want that Porsche GT3? You know, what's it going to take for you to get there? Robert Kiyosaki and his wife in his book, Unfair Advantage, you know, when they, when, when he wants to get a new car, what he does with his wife, 
He says, hey, babe, I want to buy, you know, let's just say this Porsche GT3. And she goes, okay, what are you going to buy to get it? Meaning, what asset are you going to buy that's going to produce enough cash flow to pay for that car? So if you need, let's just say, $1,200 a month to pay for, you know, a $200,000 car. Okay, well, what can you buy that can cash flow $1,200 or more a month to pay for it? You know, it's you just got to be creative. Well, I think one of the things that I have recently found out about myself is I thought a creative was someone who was just in arts and entertainment, video editing. I used to be a video editor, photographer, graphic designer. You know, I thought that that's what it meant. But I later found out that my creativity was in how I'm able to be creative with finding deals or financing deals. I think I'm really good at other people's money and getting things done like that or creatively figuring out how to make a deal work, which I guess that was a side tangent on drive. But how bad do you want it? It's that urge to satisfy a goal or need. So there are things that I really, really want for my family. And I'm going to be driven enough to get those things done so that I can create the life that I want. And that's all you, that's all it is, man. I mean, it's uh, I do think that drive is something that other people have more than others. Um, but you can still create create the drive um, as well. I mean, if you want it bad enough, right? Uh, Eric Thomas, uh, who's, uh, he goes by ET. He's like a mo- motivational speaker guy. And he always says, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful, right? So you've got to... Yes, that's so good. Yeah, you've got to want it bad enough. I mean, and and when you do, things will start changing uh, in your life. Those are the what the five steps, huh? Yep, that's it. Yeah, I hope this episode uh, helped you guys out. A little bit longer one, but, um, you know, if you stay to the end, you know, our four listeners, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> we hope... Yeah, we hope this provided some value to you. Uh, we've got some exciting guests coming up here in the next few weeks. We can't wait to get on the show that I really, really think are going to uh, do something for you. Not only just motivate you, but give you some tips and strategies to get you to the next level. So, uh, again, thanks for listening, and uh, we will catch you on the next episode. Catch you later. This episode of the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more tips and strategies on entrepreneurship, life, and business to help you create the life you've always dreamed of. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content on planet Earth.